At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. This morning I want to talk, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit sometimes can be a little bit of a hard, maybe even challenging conversation for many of us. Sometimes hard to wrap our minds and even our words around a little bit. Maybe think of it this way. Kids, I know you're in the room, so let's, can we do a little uh, experiment together with me for a minute? So um, I want you to hold out your hand, okay? And I want you to put it right in front of your face, and I want you to blow on your hand. Now, what just touched your hand? Your breath? The wind? The air? What is that? I mean, I didn't see anything but I felt something. Did you? But how do you describe that? What is your breath? What is air? I mean, it's there. I can see it, but I can't see it. I know it. I can feel it. I feel its effects, but I'm not really sure. I, I try to wrap my head around it at times. Sometimes it seems super powerful, like when it blows a tree over in my yard, and sometimes it feels real subtle when it's a cool wind on a hot day. And I know it, but sometimes it's hard for me to talk about it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can be a little bit like that for us, too, regardless of our age. One of the fun uh, things that I've been able to be a part of recently is a new project we started at Woodside called Everyday Theology, where we've been doing a podcast together, uh, seeking essentially uh, me, uh, my brother Brandon, who's here in the room. I got to give you a shout out, Brandon. So uh, he wouldn't like it, but, but I appreciate him. So and I'm thankful he's here and part of our church. And then our other friend, Dr. Reve Wilson. And um, we've been trying to, the best we can, have uh, everyday conversations around deep theological issues. And so we usually, each time we record, we record some question and just try to have a conversation about it. No notes, not a lot of stuff. I mean, we've read, done some reading, but just to talk about it like you would in an everyday conversation about stuff. And last season, we had a conversation about the Holy Spirit. What is it and who is the Holy Spirit? How, how does it work? Actually, uh, our host, Dr. Ravey Wilson, I thought did a great job kind of articulating the challenge that we have sometimes of thinking and describing it and noting the conversation. Actually, I wanted to show you a clip. I think it helps us, almost like describing the wind. How do we actually talk about the Holy Spirit? Listen to what she says. But it made me laugh when she was like, you should have said yes, Lord, because I thought like, oh, the voice of the Lord. And then, you know, then you hear stuff like the voice of the Lord is in the wind and the spirit moves. And it kind of got me thinking a little bit to present to you guys a question about this idea of like the voice of the Lord or the spirit of the Lord. Mm. And what that means you know like when they say the spirit of the lord is in the wind and then you're like well the spirit of the lord is part of the trinity and then you're like okay the holy spirit prompts you to things see it's just leading to all these questions that i yeah, have yeah and i don't really know where to begin to even explain what the holy spirit is and what it does and does it talk to you in a deep deep voice and so man i looked a lot cleaner then But do you feel the tensions? I mean, maybe you've had some of those questions. Maybe you've wrestled with, what is the Holy Spirit? Or maybe the better question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Is it a force? Is it the force? Does it move? Does it speak? How does, who is he? What, is, what does he do? 
If you were to sit down and somebody would ask you a question like that in a conversation, I don't, what's the Holy Spirit all about? How, how might you answer? How might you think of that? I think oftentimes when it comes to understanding the Holy Spirit and talking about him, there, there's a lot of mix-up in the church. And part of, I think, what adds to some of the questions and some of the challenge is that different Christian traditions over time have put different emphases on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I recognize that even as we step into this conversation, some of you might come from Christian traditions where the Holy Spirit was rarely, if ever, talked about. I was like, that's like something we put on the back shelf and we bring out a couple times a year. But other than that, that's not really anything we discuss almost a fear about it. Others of us might have come from traditions that only talked about the Holy Spirit. That when your gatherings or when things happen, it was all about that and signs and gifts and different things of the Spirit. And, and that was, he was front and center in everything that your tradition did. Many of us might come from somewhere in between. And then there's probably some of us here today who are like, what's this all about? This seems like the weirdest Halloween sermon I've ever heard at a church. Like the spirit? I didn't even know you guys did that here. And I think oftentimes we have trouble talking about the Holy Spirit. So wherever you're coming from today, the good news is that I think our passage will actually help us help answer some of those questions and maybe even help us understand and talk more about the work and role and person of the Holy Spirit. It might not answer all our questions, but I think what Jesus gives us here is going to help answer some key ones. We're in the middle of this series that we've been in called the Follower's Trail Guide, where we've been looking and studying through Jesus' last major teaching with his disciples before his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he's preparing them for their life and their mission once he ascends to be with the Lord and is no longer on the earth. And Jesus talks about many different topics and themes. And one of the themes that he talks about and repeats throughout the teaching is the person and work of the Holy Spirit and his key role in their lives when Jesus departs. But here today in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus gives his clearest teaching. He brings all that he's been saying into a clear moment to help his disciples understand the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at it together. Again, let's look back at John 16, starting halfway through verse 4. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus had just wrapped up part of his teaching on the reality of what it will mean to be his disciples in light of the world. And what he essentially says is, you're going to face some serious challenges when you go out there and seek to live as my people, my community in the midst of the world. In fact, the world is not going to like you. But Jesus now turns his attention from that reality to begin to encourage his disciples on what they will have, what they will engage in light of that. He essentially says, listen, I didn't say all these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but, but now I'm not going to be with you. I'm leaving. And we see in the text the reaction of the disciples. Jesus notes that sorrow has filled their hearts. They begin to grasp the reality that Jesus is departing. And they're sad about it. Not only because the challenge they face, but because someone they love won't be present physically with them anymore. Yet, Jesus doesn't seem to have that same reaction. Look what he says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you to the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
So while the disciples are sad, Jesus turns and says, no, 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 don't be sad. This is actually a good thing. This is an advantage or a benefit to you. Now you have to imagine the disciples at that point are like, how is that an advantage? How can it be an advantage that you're leaving? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt in, in the journey of following Jesus, like I have at times where I'm like, if Jesus could just be here, that would help things a lot. Like, if we could just have a conversation, if I could get some advice, if, like, we could just go out to coffee once a week or just, even if I could follow him around for a little bit, like, that would really make this whole Christian thing easier and actually what it means to follow Jesus if I could see him and touch him and have him. I mean, that's how you have to feel like the disciples are. Like, Jesus, you just told us the world's going to hate us and now you're telling us you're leaving and you're trying to tell me that's a good thing? Like, what? But Jesus says, it's a benefit. Well, what's the benefit then? What is the advantage to the disciples that Jesus is leaving? Well, he says, if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus wants to help them understand, actually, it's good because the Holy Spirit is going to come. That's what he means by the helper. We'll unpack that more in a minute. And that's actually a benefit to you. That's an advantage. Now, naturally, then the question is, well, what's the advantage? Why, why leave and send the Spirit? What, what actually does the Holy Spirit bring that is an advantage to me as a follower of Jesus? Well, in this passage, Jesus throws us, shows us three key reasons why the Spirit was sent. And I think through that helps us see why it's actually an advantage that Jesus departs and sends the Spirit to us. We see the first thing right away, even in the term that Jesus uses here. It's a term he's used before to describe the Holy Spirit. He calls him the helper. Because he reminds them, even from the title, that the Spirit was sent to help believers of Jesus. The helper will come. I will send him to you. Now, Jesus has used this term previously concerning the Spirit. And so I think it's good for us, as Jesus brings clarity in this passage, to draw back and remember what he's been revealing to them about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does throughout his teaching in this section. Right? Jesus has already revealed who the Spirit is. In helping us understand the Spirit, Jesus has already highlighted that the Spirit is a person. In fact, Jesus makes references throughout his teaching in the farewell discourse in John 14 through 16 of the various actions the Spirit does. He says in John 14, 16 that the Spirit teaches and that the Spirit brings. He says in our passage we looked at last week that the Spirit bears witness. Now these words and phrases that Jesus used not only reveal what the Spirit does, they do, but they also remind us of who he is. Because in using these verbs, they do not indicate in unpersonal force, but actually a personal agent. When Jesus describes the work of the Spirit, he's not talking about the movement of an inanimate object. The Spirit is not the force like Star Wars. He is a person. In fact, he's the third person of the Godhead. What Jesus shows and teaches here, and what we continue to see taught throughout the New Testament, is that the Holy Spirit is God, that he has all the essences and attributes of God, but he is a distinct person in the Godhead. He has all the essences and attributes of the Father and the Son, but he is not the Father and the Son. So on one hand, Jesus can say that when the Spirit is with you and in you, that he and the Father are with you. But on the other hand, he can talk about how the Father sends the Spirit and the Father and Son send the Spirit. And the language that Jesus has used and continues to use, even in our passage today, lays kind of the groundwork for the classic Christian understanding of God 
and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And so we as Christians confess what the scriptures teach. As the famous Athanasian Creed says, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. So what Jesus teaches is the Spirit is God. He is a person within the Godhead fully God, but distinct from the Father and the Son. Now, if that blows your mind, I can't help you beyond that. It's meant to, right? It's God. You can get at it, but you cannot fully wrap your mind around it, but we still confess its truth from the Word. So he not only describes who the Spirit is, but he also describes what he does. Again, this word that Jesus is the word that Jesus used that we translate helper or the helper, We've talked about this previously. Jesus uses it multiple times throughout his teaching. It's the Greek word parakletos. And parakletos carries a variety of meanings. We have trouble sometimes translating it. Sometimes it's counselor, sometimes helper, sometimes advocate. Because the word really means one who comes alongside of another, who helps them or counsels them or provides for them or advocates for them. It has all those meanings. And what Jesus wants to remind us is that the Spirit in what he does comes to actually help his followers. He's an advocate for them. I I used this illustration previously, but I think it's helpful. I had a friend who a number of years worked as a child advocate in the court systems in Ohio. And her job was to come along children who were at risk and to ensure that they had the right counsel, the right resources, that they were in the right and best spot, that somebody was advocating to help them fulfill the life that they had. In many ways, that's what the Spirit does for us. He comes alongside and counsels us and provides the resources and moves in our life so that we can fully grow into what God intends us and who God intends us to be. So the Spirit is God, and the Spirit comes to help. Jesus makes that clear. But what he also does in reminding us of the sending of the Spirit is that part of what the Spirit will do in who he is and what he does is he will continue on the ministry of Christ. That as Christ is our advocate, the Spirit also now becomes our advocate. And we're going to see this more as Jesus unpacks this passage. But what we need to see from the get-go is that Jesus teaches that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a continuation and representation of his ministry. That ultimately the Spirit continues on the ministry of Christ to us and in the world. Or another way you could say it that I think Jesus points us to time and time again in this passage is that the ministry of the Spirit spotlights the Son. That that's what the Spirit does. It spotlights and continues Jesus' work in our lives and in the world. And so this is why Jesus sees the Spirit as an advantage. When Jesus is present on earth in his physical form, he can only minister to those he is present with. But what Jesus reminds them is when he ascends and sends the Spirit, now Jesus can be present by the Spirit with all of his people everywhere. That we can actually have access to Christ by his Spirit everywhere we are and everywhere we go. Because the Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus in us and through us. And so this becomes an amazing thing, an advantage to us as Christians that we have the Spirit. You want to have coffee with Jesus? Send some time with the Holy Spirit in God's word. He will reveal, he will move, he will do. Jesus is present with us because the Spirit is present with us 
if we've put our faith in Christ. But Jesus also wants to see how the Spirit helps to spotlight the Son and how that continues to be an advantage to us in our own following of Him. So even as He unfurls that the ministry of the Spirit helps believers, He then turns the attention to help us see how the Spirit works in the world as an advantage to us. Look what He says in verse 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus not only reminds them that the Spirit was sent to help believers, but he reminds them it's an advantage because the Spirit was sent to convict the world. This, phrase, this word that Jesus uses here, convict, carries the idea of to show someone their sin and to summon them to repentance. That's the idea of conviction and what that language here. To show them where they're in error and call them to turn towards what is true and right and good. And in this, Jesus highlights that the ministry really works to convict in kind of three key areas in the world, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And let me unpack these a little bit. He says, first, the Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Spirit is sent then to convict us of our wrongdoing. That is what sin is, to miss the mark, to be in rebellion against God, to do what we should not and fail to do what we should. And what Jesus is saying is that the Spirit is sent to convict us and show us that we are in sin, that then we would turn in belief to Christ. That part of his role in the world is to reveal the sinful condition in which we all exist apart from Christ and that to call us to look to Jesus in faith as the one to save us so that we would believe in him. Jesus says that the Spirit comes to convict us concerning our righteousness. The Spirit is sent into the world to convict the world of its false righteousness, of its inability to actually live rightly in the way God calls us and intends us to. Righteousness in this context is actually placed in the negative. And what Jesus essentially is saying is, I've been working to expose false righteousness. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's constantly challenging people's false righteousness. He has some of the strongest language for the self-righteous Pharisees of his day. But what he's saying is, I'm ascending to the Father. The Spirit is going to come and continue that work of convicting us and showing us that we, apart from Christ, do not have righteousness on our own. And again, to call us back to Christ. And then he will convict us concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit comes to show the world that its judgment and its siding with the enemy is in fact false. Or as one commentator put it, it's profoundly wrong and morally perverse. Jesus exposes the judgment of the world. What the world judges as right, Jesus exposes as wrong by his Spirit. What the world judges as wrong, Jesus might show through his teaching what is right. At the end of the day, the Spirit comes to show that we are not to side with the enemy and his judgment on our lives, but with God and his judgment. Again, so that we might turn towards Christ and experience salvation. So what Jesus wants to highlight for his followers is that they're sent into the world. He's made that clear. But through highlighting what the Spirit does in convicting the world, Jesus is helping them to see that the Spirit is the one who's now at work to convict of sin, to convict of false righteousness, to convict of false judgment, so that people would turn towards Christ in faith. 
that this is his work and role in the world. And as we see that then, as we see that this is part of his ministry to convict the world, it should cause us as followers of Christ really to respond in two ways. The first way we should respond to the reality of what the Spirit does in convicting the world is we should look inward. We should ask the question, if the role of the Spirit is to convict of sin, false righteousness, and judgment, has the Spirit convicted me of my sin, my false righteousness, and my false judgment? Has he done the work in my life to show me that I'm following the ways and patterns of the world and that I'm in sin and that I stand before a holy God judged apart from Christ? Has he revealed that to me so that I might turn in faith towards Christ? That's part of what he does because he wants to show us we're not okay. Apart from Jesus, we're not okay. We're in sin. We're in self-righteous judgment before God. And he wants to expose that so we would turn from ourselves where we don't have salvation and trust in Jesus where we can have salvation. Has he done that in your life? Has he convicted you of your own sinfulness? Has he convicted you of the ways you try to live in your own self-righteousness to make yourself better than you actually are? And has he convicted you to turn from the world and its false judgments and trust in Jesus? If he hasn't, then my prayer is that he would do that today. My prayer is that he would help you see how bad you are so you can see how great Jesus is because that's where salvation is found. And so that's what he does in the world. And if he hasn't done that, maybe today's an ask where you say, God, would you show me? Would you show me my reality? Would you let the Holy Spirit reveal that to me that we might trust in Jesus, that we might trust that he lived the life none of us could live, but that he also died the death for our sin for though the wages of sin are what's death, the gift of God is eternal life because Jesus died for us and rose again that we might overcome Satan's sin and death and have eternal life in him. So that's part of what the Spirit should do. And in our response, we should look inward first and say, has the Spirit convicted me of my sin? But the second response, if he has brought you under that conviction and you do have faith in Christ, is then to turn outward. Because I think what Jesus teaches us and teaches followers of him here is that if part of the work of the Spirit is to go out and convict in the world, then the Spirit actually becomes an empowering work to our own work of the mission of God and spreading the good news of Jesus. This is actually an empowering thing to recognize what the Spirit does in the world. So our our life group this past week, uh, we had dinner like we normally do, and then we were having a discussion afterwards Uh, about what it looks like to share our faith. And we were acknowledging uh, the challenge, often it is, as followers of Jesus, to share our faith with people, whether at our jobs or the gym or all the sorts of places that that God might lead me. And we were kind of talking about why that's the case. Why do we struggle with that? And And I think if we're honest, many of us would say we do struggle with that. I struggle with that, right? It's easy for me in this place in front of a couple hundred people to talk about Jesus and the gospel, right? Because you don't talk back. So that that makes it easy. But you put me in an interpersonal relationship across with one or two people and maybe people I don't know that well and my introvert self starts to take over and then maybe I'm going to bring up Jesus and that might be an uncomfortable conversation and then my heart starts to flutter and then like, I'm sure probably all of us feel that to some extent. And so we were talking about why that's the case. And and, and then we kind of asked the question, well, well, how do we actually like seek to actually follow in light of the challenge that we face? And, and one of the women in our life group 
Michelle, who leads our moms ministry here, brought up a great point in our discussion about the reality of expectations. That oftentimes we step into those moments with kind of this, I think, some bad expectations. See, I think a lot of times we feel pressure in those moments that everything of that conversation is dependent on us. And so we, we suddenly shirk back because we feel like what evangelism means, what it means to share the gospel is that it's got to be some like high-powered, high-pressure sales pitch that I better have down flat because I got like three seconds to share the gospel with this person or they're going to hell. And so we like step in and we're like, ah, I got I to gotta have the, the right words, the right things, the right napkin, the right drawing, the right expectation, the right this. And if I could just get that and maybe they'll trust me, then I'll be okay. And we think those conversations are all dependent on us. And so we feel this pressure all the time. But I think if we actually take what Jesus says that the Spirit does, we realize the pressure isn't on us. That he's actually sent his spirit as a helper who's already ahead of us in the world, convicting and working and helping people, exposing the realities of their life. Our job then is just to be present in the spirit and follow his leading in those moments. So there might be moments where the spirit does prompt us to speak. This is an excuse not to share your faith. But, some, but are we listening to the spirit? Are we just waiting and letting him expose? And maybe there's a door where he opens and you you are able to speak the gospel. Maybe you just love someone as their life falls apart and you help them see the hope and truth of Jesus. You see, you, you can be empowered in sharing your faith because the Spirit's already in the world doing the work. Your job is just to follow him. Your job is just to let him lead you and help you because that's what Jesus said he's going to do. And we can be a people who faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus because the Spirit helps us to do that. But he not only convicts and works in the world, he actually then helps to guide us in our lives. So Jesus discusses the reality of the Spirit's work in the world, but now he turns his attention in the last part of this section to focus on the role of the Spirit in the life of his people. Look what he says in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, Jesus wants to help them to see that part of the work of the Spirit and why he's an advantage to you as he continues the ministry of Jesus is he not only helps convict the world, but he actually helps guide the church. Right, the people of Jesus, that's what we mean by the church. That the Spirit is actually at work to guide us. We see that. Jesus highlights two key things, actions the Spirit does. First, he guides us into all truth. This is not some new truth. It's the truth of God's word. It's the truth concerning Christ that we see. And that the Spirit works to guide God's people into the truth of his word to make much of Jesus. Jesus is clear. The Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority. There's not some separate word apart from the work of the Godhead through the Father and the Son. But he takes what is of the Father and the Son and brings it to bear on the life of God's people. And in doing so, he guides them towards the consummation of all things. 
Right, what, what Pastor Joel started our service with from Philippians. God will continue the work. The Spirit is sent to guide us to continue the work that God begins in us until he completes it in Jesus' work when he establishes kingdom in the new heavens and new earth forever. That's what the Spirit does. He's guiding us. How is he guiding us? He's guiding us by the word of God. That's what he does. And so in doing that, he brings the word of God to bear on us so that we might continue in our faith and be guided by him. The second thing he highlights, though, is not only does he guide us by truth, he, if you see it in verse 14, he will glorify me. Again, here we see that the ministry of the Spirit focuses on Jesus the Son. The Spirit comes to glorify Christ by taking what is of Christ and declaring that to his people. First, that comes through the apostles, which scriptures talks about lay the foundation for us. But then consequently, it comes to all of God's followers through his word, which the spirit has inspired to guide us and to glorify Christ. And so in this, we see that the spirit's role in the church's life is to guide God's people by the word of God for the glory of Christ. That's his role. That's what he does. He guides us by God's word for Jesus's glory. Dr. Scott Swain, who's a a professor and president of Reformed Theological Seminary, says this. He has a helpful quote that helps us see the work of the Spirit. He says this, the procession of the Spirit from the Son reminds us that the Spirit does not exist or act independently of the Son, but the Spirit exists and acts from the Word and for the Word which means he's sent by Jesus to draw us back to Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. That is his role. His role is to spotlight Jesus. That's what he does for us, taking us back time and time again to the glories and truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Maybe you can think of the Spirit's ministry like like this. So I told you a little while back that this summer I got to go see uh, my favorite band, 21 Pilots, play down at Little Caesars Arena. And it was an awesome show, right? Awesome. And it was like the full spectacle show with like the 80-foot screens on the side and like took up half of one end of the arena and it was packed and it had video and lights and synchronized all. I mean, the tech was like incredible, right? And not only, and, and all of it just supported that like music of the band. And it was amazing. And, uh, and so we were enjoying it. And then at one point on, on the, in the show, the lead singer stops and he highlights the tech crew. And he says, hey guys, there's this whole tech crew that makes this happen. And he brings up three of their pictures on the screen and he talks about them and they kind of stand up and we all applaud them. And I realized, you know, the tech crew plays a pretty important role in concerts. I mean, you couldn't have what happened without the tech crew. But the role of the tech crew is to put the spotlight on the band. That's literally their work. So you see them for a moment, you catch a glimpse of them, but they're not the focal point of what happens in that place, in that gathering. They're the support role that's highlighting the glory of the band and their music. 
In many ways, that's what Jesus is saying the role of the Spirit is. It's not that the Spirit's not important. He's significantly important. He's God. Let's get that clear. But the role of the Spirit, what he is doing in the life of God's people now, is he's putting the spotlight on Jesus. He's the tech support for Jesus to highlight the incredible work that he's done by his death and resurrection. And so you might see him for a moment. You catch glimpses of the Spirit. He's important and powerful and does incredible things in the life of God's people. But all of it is meant to highlight the glory of Christ. So his speaking, his voice, his gifts, his work, his empowerment, his conviction, his fruit, they're all meant to draw us back to Jesus because he glorifies the Son. That's the whole point, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit spotlights the Son. That's what Jesus wants to help us to understand. And when we begin to understand it, it actually begins to bring a lot of clarity, not only to our understanding, but also to the way in which we as a community seek to walk in the Spirit. You see, what I often see in communities, and I'm not trying to be judgmental of others, please don't hear me say that, I'm just trying to emphasize what I think is helpful for us, is that oftentimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit in Christian communities, we can make one of two mistakes. We can either overemphasize this role of the Spirit or we can underemphasize the role of the Spirit. In context where the Spirit is overemphasized, He actually becomes the focal point of the Christian life and experience. So Jesus isn't front stage, the Spirit is now front stage. And the whole goal of Christianity is of, and of Jesus is just to get me to the experience of the Spirit. And that's ultimately what I then pursue. And often in these contexts, the point of the public gathering or the ministries of the church is merely to foster dynamic experiences of the Spirit, usually with signs or gifts or things like that, that become the whole focal point. That if they don't happen, we even wonder, did we ever experience the Holy Spirit? Was he even present? I mean, I remember one time being in a, in a place where I was, went to a conference to study the, the gifts of, and role of the Spirit. And, and at the beginning of it, uh, we were in a room, they were praying, they preached to us, and then they had a time of prayer to minister where they were like, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and minister and do all this. And I, and I was in the room and like, they started praying and people started to like fall down all over the place. And the guy came up to me and he prayed on me and I didn't feel like I should fall down. Like I was like, and then at that moment, something was wrong in the room. So then he like goes, gets a horn and he blows it over me and they keep praying over, and there was like this pressure to fall down. And I was like, but I don't, feel like I'm supposed to fall down. Like, and, and I realized that that's what happens when you overemphasize the spirit. You, you make it about a sign. You make, it about a, you make it about a certain experience because the spirit is at the forefront. And it can't be enough that the spirit might just be working in subtle ways in our hearts to draw us to Christ. He's got to be at the front and center. And if he's not at the front and the center, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's an overemphasis. You have to be careful of that. Remember, the Spirit's role is to highlight Jesus and to draw us to Jesus. And he might cause you to fall down, but he might cause you not to fall down. The point isn't that. The point is Christ. Is he leading you into a deeper reality and experience of Jesus? I was listening to a worship song recently, a new worship song, and, and, and I, I was really vibing with it, and I actually started to get into it, and then I started to actually listen to the words. Um, and Because sometimes that can happen, right? Music's catchy, and sometimes we just like the tune and the song, but then we're also people of spirit and truth. So truth matters in what we sing. And, and there was a line in the bridge that caught me that I, I, I couldn't let go of. 
It was all about, they were singing about the Spirit, but the, the line in the bridge said, Holy Spirit, come rest on us. You're all we want. And I was like, but that's not even what the Spirit wants. Like the Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. He's not all we want. God is all we want. God in Christ, who is at the head right now, and until all things are under his feet, in which he hands it back over to the Father. The role of this, it's not that it's bad to desire the Spirit, but we don't desire the Spirit exclusively apart from the work of the Son, which brings us to the Father. God is triune. He's not one-dimensional. And when we overemphasize the Spirit, we even miss who God is. So that's one error that we have to avoid. The second error, then, that we have to avoid is an underemphasis of the Spirit. And an underemphasis of the Spirit, the Spirit is rarely talked about. Little space or time is given to pursue Him, His gifts are not developed, His power is not realized. And oftentimes, in an underemphasized context, the Spirit becomes a moot point in the life of the church. We almost seem to worship a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Bible more than we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where our rationality takes over. And anything that makes us uncomfortable or seems supernatural or far-fetched is to be minimized except for our rational understanding. And in these contexts, the role of the Spirit, though He works in dynamic and powerful and supernatural ways, are minimized, and because of that, the fullness and understanding of the power and work of Jesus is left untapped by the community. And so we have to be careful. Our job is to follow the Spirit as he highlights the Son. Part of that is the gifts he brings. Part of that is the fruit that he does. Part of the conviction he works. Part of that times is stepping out of our comfort zone to experience the deeper reality of what he wants to do in us and through us. And so, brothers and sisters, we can't make either error. Don't overemphasize the spirit, but don't underemphasize it. And if we're just going to be honest for a moment, we probably err more as a community on the underemphasis than the overemphasis. So what does it look like to actually step into that reality, to see his gift, his power exercised in us? Again, not for him, but for Christ, that we might be a community that glorifies him, that we might more walk in holiness as he is in holiness, that we might walk in the power that he walked in, that raised him from the dead. Our whole goal and the goal of understanding the ministry of the Spirit, again, is to spotlight the Son. To understand His necessity in working in us to make much of Jesus. Now, I know there's much more we could say about the Spirit. And there's probably more questions that I've brought to your mind than answers. But let's at least set the foundation. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. And He comes to help us by convicting the world of its sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also by guiding us as his people so that we would glorify and make much of Jesus. To understand the ministry of the Spirit is to turn our hearts and our focus and our attention back to the glory of Christ. To see him and say, you are Lord of all. You are Savior who has died from my sins and risen again. I have hope because you will return to make things right. 
And I have faith that you will continue in my life to be present because the Spirit is with me. The Spirit leads us to Jesus. And so as we respond, even to what Jesus says here, I think the way that we need to do that is to let the Spirit lead us back to Christ. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to respond in worship. And I'm going to ask the Spirit to come, but I'm going to ask Him to do a work in our hearts afresh of drawing our attention and our gaze on our Savior, that He would move in power in us so that we might see the glory of Jesus first and foremost. So let me pray for us. Father God, we come and we ask that you would once again send your spirit to minister to our hearts and our lives. We invite you to work in power, to work beyond our understanding, to work deep within our souls to draw us to the glory of Jesus. Father, would you guide us by your spirit to see him afresh? Would you elevate our attention towards him? Would you elevate our affection for him? Would you help us see the glory again of who he is as we celebrate him? Would you you stir our hearts towards Jesus by your spirit right now? And help us to be a community that makes much of Jesus the way the Spirit makes much of Jesus. Even now, would you just begin that work as we prepare to sing? We're asking you to do that. Brothers and sisters, maybe even just take 30 seconds in your own heart and soul in prayer. Just ask God for his Spirit to come upon you to elevate Christ in your heart. We're just going to give you 30 seconds to do some business with the Lord right now. Go ahead. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.